Will you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? God, we come before your presence with thanksgiving for all the many blessings you've given us. God, we ask that you would open our hearts uh, to your word. In your name we pray, amen. Today we are looking at the last chapter of the book of Philippians. Uh, for the past several weeks, we've been uh, on this journey reading one chapter uh, a service, and there's so much more to it. I hope uh, we've kind of created a little bit of an appetite for you so that you can go home and continue to read this beautiful letter that Paul uh, wrote uh, to the church uh, in Philippi. And it is a, it is a beautiful uh, letter. Uh, it is a letter that is filled uh, with uh, themes of unity um, and humility are part of that as well. And what we read today, the, one of the first things that we read today, uh, talks about a division that was happening in the church. Uh, there was some problems between two women uh, that was happening. And when we look at that, these two women, um, Paul is saying that these two women are in the community, uh, and he doesn't favor one over the other. Uh, these women's names are Iodia and Syntyche. And... Uh, and he doesn't pick sides. He does not pick sides, uh, but rather he kind of gives instruction. And if the church was listening to what Paul was saying, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard another more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but the interests of others. If this was being followed, if this words were being lived out, we would not see any division. But yet, here we are. Uh, here we are. And Paul is saying something really interesting here in chapter 4. Um, he's saying something absolutely interesting, and I think it is worthwhile for us to take a note here. These two women are disagreeing about something we don't know what the conflict was about. Uh, I don't know if somebody was an Eagles fan, another was a Steelers fan. NFL starting today, you all know that? All right, if you don't, that's okay. All right, right? We don't know what the conflict is. We don't know what the conflict is, but yet Paul is calling for them to live together, uh, to be together. Paul is asking this, them to come together, to resolve their issues and Paul makes a really important note here that both these women who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are disagreeing with each other in church, that their names are in the book of life. That their names are in the book of life. Isn't that a beautiful thing for us to hear? Especially when we feel like if we live in a culture where it is us versus them, and sometimes when we get into a conflict, uh, we kind of get on our own self-pity and we condemn the other to places that shall not be named here, right? But here, Paul is saying that we are part of the community. The reality is we as a church community, there are going to be disagreements and that's okay. And it is absolutely okay to do that. It is absolutely okay to do that because... Our names are in the book of life. So Paul is saying that the church is not without conflict, but rather is calling the church to live out, knowing that we are all heading to the same goal, knowing that we are all heading in the same direction. 
So, church, I think this is something that we can exemplify and live out, not as the culture is asking us to do. Because there is no middle ground in our culture these days. You're pulled to one side or the other. The world is viewed to, is forces us to live in conformity. But I think the Bible is calling for unity, having a difference of opinion, but yet coming together in love. After admonishing these two women about what needs to happen and how do they need to work out their differences, Paul sets forth a model for us as to how to pray. The church and I and its members, they are anxious about things that are happening in their life. For example, there were, like when we read the book of Philippians, you knew that there was tensions within the congregation. Some were pe- preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. And Paul is saying to them, don't worry about it. Yes, they're doing, they're preaching with wrong motives, but just leave them alone. And some are afraid that they will be imprisoned because they know that Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. And this church is really anxious that persecution might befall on them, that they themselves might be imprisoned, much like their apostle, their teacher was uh, imprisoned. So they're worried about that. And last week we looked at this uh, conversation that Pastor Joanne was preaching about, about what it is for us to be the right thing to do as Christians. And many in the church were saying, first you need to become a Jew before you become a Christian. And Paul is saying, no, that is not the truth. There is a lot of discussion. There is a lot of anxiety within the life of this church. And Paul encourages them not to be anxious. Paul tells them, do not be anxious. But rather, Paul here kind of teaches them how to live through that. How to deal with their anxiety. And here Paul teaches them to pray. Paul asks them to pray. Let's go back a few weeks ago when we looked at the church of Philippi, when we looked at who were there, who was part of that church. We said it was Lydia, the seller of purple dye. We said there was a prison guard that was part, and his family were part of the church. There was a slave girl who was possessed by a demon spirit and was relieved from that oppression. The church is filled with Gentiles and Jews. And this new congregation, they are trying to find their identity in faith. And there are a lot of things that that would make them anxious. When I think about anxiety, when I think about becoming anxious, I become anxious when I think about the unknowns that I'm about to face in life. If you are a planner, if you like things organized in a certain way, everything to fit in a box, and you don't like surprises, welcome to the party. Because there's a lot of uncertainty about the future, and that can give us anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty that we face on a daily basis. If this season has taught us anything, that the constant is the unknown. And that can make us anxious. Friends, this morning, I want to ask you, what, is, what are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? Is it your health? Is it your finances? Your future? Your job? What are you anxious about 
get anxious, when we find ourselves in situations when we are not in control. And there is so much in life that we are encountering on a day-to-day -day basis that is really completely outside our control. So my question to you is, what are you anxious about? Paul very simply says, do not be anxious. When your life is filled with anxiety, we are encouraged to pray. We are called to pray. We are called to pray. This is what Paul says, that we are bring our requests before God in prayer with thanksgiving. He says, make your requests be known with thanksgiving. With prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God. When we get anxious, when I get anxious, we tend to clench our fists. You know, and we try to hang on to things even harder because we know that we are losing control. We do everything we can to kind of put our fists together and pull it, hold on to tighter and tighter and tighter. But God is reminding us to do something different. Here we are called to open our arms, open our palms, and give thanks in those difficult situations and make our prayers known to God. See, when we open our arms, we begin to thank God for all that he has done for us. We begin to surrender our requests to God. We begin to acknowledge that God is in control. We give thanks to God for the past victories. We give thanks to God knowing that our God is faithful. And as we are doing that, we become aware that we are part of a much larger mosaic, that God is going to make something beautiful, and that our God is faithful. As we model this prayer, Paul gives a blessing. And this blessing is profound and deep. Hear these words, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Friends, we are promised peace. When our hearts are filled with anxiety, when we open our arms and give thanks to God, and our prayers are made known to God, God promises for each one of us, when we do that, the promise is this, the peace of God is upon us. One biblical commentator put it this way, the peace that is promised here is far more than the absence of conflict. Rather, it is, rather, it is total well-being, and it comes from God. If you're facing a giant this week, if your heart is filled with anxiety, it is my prayer that the peace of God would surround you. The peace of God would surround you today. That you would open up your palms and give thanks to God. And the peace of God would surround you. After teaching on prayer, Paul moves on from verses four, uh, 8 and 9. 
And he gives some sound advice to this church. The church is reminded to focus on things from above. Given the current circumstances within this church, one could easily focus on the conflict. One could easily focus on division. One could easily focus on the impending persecution upon the church of Philippi. But Paul wants us to set our minds on things that are worthy of praise. Despite all the challenges that the church is facing, Paul wants us to focus on things that are honorable and right and pure. See, when we begin to focus on the negative things, we begin to see a lot of things that are negative. But Paul here is saying, focus on things about. One is to have a grateful heart, and the other is to experience the peace of God. I think Paul is here saying to us, in a funny way, if I can paraphrase the words of Paul, I think what Paul is saying here in these verses of uh, 8 and 9 of Philippians 4 is, I know you all know, I think what Paul is saying here is, I know you. I know you. You like to wake up every morning and tell God what to do and how to function and give him a list as to how he needs to control the world. I know that about you. And Paul is saying, stop that. Don't do that. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be uncertain about the future. God has got it. Focus on things about. This is what we read. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. And the God of peace will be with you. And we are becoming a little bit of a negative Nelly and focusing on everything that is wrong. I think Paul is reminding us to do something different. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And the God of peace will be with you. Verses 10 through 17, Paul focuses on that we can do all things to Christ Jesus. These are his closing remarks. In his closing remarks, he wants us to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God is able to provide for our needs. He gives a very specific examples to support this claim that he can do everything through the power of Jesus Christ. He knows that he, that Paul himself was able to live a prosperous life with plenty of resources. And then he contrasts that by stating that he lived in extreme poverty as well. While living in poverty, he was hungry. He was in need of basic necessities. Whether in prosperity or in poverty, Paul understood that God is sovereign, that God will take care of him. He did not desire more for more when he lacked, neither did he detest the plenty that he was given by his master. Rather, he was content in every circumstance. 
He knew that God is going to take care of him in every situation. I would argue, friends, the reason Paul came to this profound understanding is because he was able to understand his identity. His identity was not tied to his accomplishments. We looked at this, uh, at his resume last week in chapter 3, all the things that he, that Paul had accomplished. He's not concerned about his earthly achievements. He's not concerned about his economic conditions. His identity comes from knowing that he is God's son, that he is beloved by God. And that's it. And nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And then Paul, towards the end of this chapter, end of this letter, he talks about what he, how he views this church. Hear these words, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Not one church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payments, and I have had more than enough. I am supplied, and now that I have received, I can't pronounce that name, Ephroditus, the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, the Philippian church understood something here, and I think it's it's important for us to grasp the same thing as well. The Philippian church understood that giving towards Paul's ministry was an act of worship. They did not give to Paul their gifts out of pity or convenience. Rather, they were the only church that understood the joy of giving. The church was committed to giving to Paul's ministry because they saw it as an act of worship. Something interesting is happening in these words and all through the book. We have seen that Paul teach and instruct these believers. When it comes to giving to the church, Paul is not teaching them, but rather he's thanking the church. Because the church got, got it. The church understood what it means to give. The church knew that giving meant was an act of worship. I think we as a church can emulate this principle as well. We can start to view our financial offerings to the church as part of our devotions, just like the way we read Bible, we pray, we serve, and we give of our resources, all as part of our act of worship. And Paul closes um, with this final remark. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. Paul was grounded in the knowledge that God was his provided. He wanted to thank the church and believe that God will provide for all their needs. The church simply needs to put their trust in God, and God will provide for them. God will meet all their needs according to the riches of God's glory. See, God's provisions for his people is based on the glory that God will receive. 
His provisions are not based on the glory that we will receive. Friends, this morning I want to invite you into a time of prayer as we close this book. As we read through this whole entire book, I want to invite you to put your, open your arms and put your arms, your palms on your lap. And I want to invite you into a time of prayer. May you hold all that you're anxious about. In the palm of your hands. God, we give you thanks for all the blessings that you've given us. And God, we ask that you would take our anxious thoughts and give us peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for all the blessings you have given us. Thank you that you call each one of us beloved daughter and son. And thank you that you promise to be our provider of all that we need. We ask these things in your name. Amen.